When Princess Diana joined the royal family in 1981, she was faced with extraordinary scrutiny. She was beloved and embraced at first, but when she opened up about her postpartum depression following the birth of Prince William, the tabloids began to paint her in a different light. Unstable, crazy, pushy, agenda-driven, and more. It seems that Great Britain has not been able to break the abominable habit of relying on the royal family as its source of pride, shame, gossip, and entertainment all in one. Royals, and especially women who marry royals, have been subject to intense scrutiny and criticism for as long as the monarchy has existed. King Henry VIII is hailed as one of the most important, great monarchs in Western history for his break from the Catholic Church, but each of his six wives was cruelly used as a pawn by his political enemies and allies alike. Henry was not given even a slap on the wrist for his excessive, obvious, and well-documented adultery but his wives Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard were executed for their alleged adultery to make space for his next female placeholder. This pattern has continued. Recently, with Princess Diana being jerked back and forth in the press, the press was temporarily diverted by her new sister-in-law, Duchess of York, Sarah Ferguson, or Fergie, who was criticized for everything, even her very normal and healthy weight, nicknamed the Duchess of Pork by some particularly disgusting rags. Ultimately, the tabloids found a way to shame both women at once, pitting the best friends against each other and claiming that Fergie and Diana fought and created drama for the poor, innocent royal family that they had both married into. Then, of course, Camilla Parker Bowles arrived on the scene. She was dubbed a homewrecker from day one and is still one of the most hated women in England, despite the fact that it was Prince Charles, not Camilla, who was incapable of keeping a few simple marriage vows. Much like his wandering forefathers, Charles was not held responsible to the British public for his personal life, but his wives most certainly were and still are today. After her tragic death, Diana became an untouchable saint. The same magazines and papers that happily capitalized on her struggles and pain now worshipped her, perpetuating the hate against the new Duchess Camilla. The pattern, of course, continues today. Duchess Kate Middleton was labeled a ladder-climbing commoner, a doormat, and a gold digger. She was criticized for her social status, for her long-term relationship with Prince William, for her lack of a career, and for wearing a couture dress at a college fashion show. The horror. In essence, she was slammed for everything and nothing. But then, the royal wedding. What an affair. Common Kate Middleton was so poised and modest and proper. Everything was done the way the queen wanted, or so the tabloids said. 
and so the Duchess of Cambridge got a temporary reprieve. She was, of course, pulled through the gutters of libelous news sources again until her first pregnancy was announced. Since then, Duchess Kate has had mostly positive, but I suspect rarely accurate press. In part, or maybe in large part, because a new target has joined the royal family. Meghan Markle, American, mixed-race actress and divorcee, was even more scandalous of a choice than her stepmother-in-law, Camilla. But Meghan Markle created a very divided media. Some compared her compassion, beauty, poise under pressure, and liberal advocacy to Prince Harry's mom, Princess Diana. Others jumped on the racial slurs bandwagon, and Meghan was easy cannon fodder for the lazy writer, and brought to the forefront of the issues of racism still very prevalent in British society. For the trash journalist and gossip writer, it was so, so easy to push headlines and sell false narratives that invaded and invented Meghan's personal life and trampled any respectful boundaries to criticize her relationship with her parents, her career, her skin color, her voice, her past relationships, and more, without sources or, you know, anything to back them up. Since day one, it seems, the Duchess of Cambridge and the Duchess of Essex have been pitted against each other. Prince William and Harry are seldom compared or critiqued, but Kate and Meghan are constantly pitted against one another with news stories alleging that they fought over the bridesmaids' tights at Meghan's wedding, um, what? to fights in the palace, to the two princesses destroying the brotherly bond between William and Harry. Ah. Interestingly, none of these reports seem to have any evidence besides, you know, an undisclosed source occasionally, but we still eat them up like the swine for drama and gossip that we are. It's no wonder that after being mocked for caressing her precious baby bump, criticized for anything and everything, and lied about and painted as the villain for so long, that the Duchess of Essex chose to step away from the toxic gossip mill that is the British royal family and their backstabbing venomous worshippers, the tabloids. She had experience as an American celebrity, but even that didn't prepare her for the vicious, back-and-forth love-hate relationship she would be forced into by British news rags. Who knows if her deceased mother-in-law had had the same option to opt for privacy and the same protective and devoted spouse, maybe she would still be alive today. Hello, witches, women, and other lovely listeners. I'm Hannah, the bipolar bisexual host of this bi-weekly podcast of Witches and Women. In this podcast, we get to explore the lives of powerful women, both real and mythological. Strong women have historically been labeled as witches or something else equally troubling, taboo, and 
easy to justify killing or dismissing. I'm telling their stories because most of these tales are amazing and all of them are fascinating. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play, and if you do social media, connect with me through Of Witches and Women on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. Of course, be sure you also check out the website, which is the most in-depth and exciting resource I can offer you. When you visit ofwitchesandwomen.com, you'll find fantastic merchandise of both the serious and salty variety. Lots of the merchandise is limited edition, so get it while we're still in ancient Greece. You'll also find the Grimoire Gallery, which is our internet gallery curated with art by today's working artists and featuring witches, women, and goddesses of ancient Greece. If you see something you like, you can support a small business by visiting the artist's portfolio sites to see, share, or purchase more of their work. Plus, you can even buy some of their prints starting at just $15 in the Of Witches and Women shop. If you're not a fan of fake news, then you need to check out the Lamia Library, where I list all of my show notes and other resources and recommendations. Of course, subscribe to the newsletter The Oracle on any page of the Of Witches and Women website. Just scroll down and add your email address. The bi-weekly oracle tells the shorter, fascinating, more obscure stories that we won't get to cover on the show. It highlights grimoire gallery artists, shares simple spells and book recommendations, and more. So don't miss out. Subscribe today. Thargalia was a powerful woman in ancient Greece. She was a courtesan what we might consider today to be a very high-class prostitute. According to Plutarch, Tharglia was so seductive and persuasive that she easily lured men into confiding in her. She was also likely a black widow. According to some sources, she married 14 times to wealthy and influential men, each time inheriting their wealth when they died. Tharglia was secretly a pro-Persian Greek citizen in a society at war with Persia. Some hypothesize that she helped instigate Darius's sacking of her home city in 494 BCE. She appears to have been a vital Persian spy, passing information that led to the Persian invasion of 480. Without the fierce Spartan forces and the brave sneak attack of another woman, the athlete and war hero Hydna, Tharglia's cause would have been successful and Persia would have invaded Greek civilization. You can read more about Hydna's story in The Oracle in a few short weeks, so sign up today. Tharglia believed that Persian rule would be more stable than the constant infighting between the Greek city-states. Through her salon establishment in Thessaly, Tharglia tactfully made her case for stability and safety to many powerful and influential men. Greece was divided. Independence or safety? a question that still marks the differences in opinion between many political parties today. Tharglia did not give up after the defeat of 480 and continued to promote her cause throughout her life. Tharglia was not alone in advocating for Persian rule. 
She was also likely one of the very few female citizens of ancient Greece. Due to her status as a widow without heirs, she owned property. Likely she was allowed to vote, and thanks to her persuasive powers, was safe walking among influential men, attending seminars and debates, and persuading people to her treasonous cause. Historians consider Tharglia to be an early Benedict Arnold figure, shocking in abandoning her country loyalty in favor of a more stable, larger empire. Meanwhile, another woman was studying Tharglia. Aspasia, like the older Tharglia, was born in Miletus. Aspasia immigrated further inland to Greece with her sister after she was orphaned. Aspasia was also a brilliant, literate, and politically-minded woman. With her small inheritance, Aspasia opened a brothel in Megara before she was drawn to Athens, the heartbeat of political tensions in ancient Greece. Plutarch, the historian and recorder of ancient Greece, is the one who first drew parallels between Tharglia and Aspasia. Both were educated and brilliant women. They both chose professions as high-class courtesans in order to influence men in charge. However, Aspasia vehemently disagreed with Tharglia's stance. Aspasia ultimately entered into a long-term relationship with Pericles, general and governor of Athens. Pericles divorced his first wife and moved Aspasia into his home. We can imagine, based on how gossip about the British monarchy spreads, how scandalous Aspasia would have appeared to the people of Athens, even though she proved to be their greatest ally. Aspasia drew constant criticism, particularly from the women of Athens, who viewed her as the outsider that had snatched up the most important man in the city. Sound familiar? And Aspasia was an outsider without the rights of an Athenian woman. She could not really marry, inherit property, have legitimate Athenian children, or hold power in other traditional ways. But she was determined. As Pericles' intellectual equal and an alluring woman and hostess, Aspasia drew some of the greatest and most powerful minds and men into Pericles' inner circle. Socrates attributes many of Pericles' greatest speeches to his partner, Aspasia. A playwright attributed a law issued by Pericles against the kidnapping of women from brothels to Aspasia as well. She was a clever advocate and politician. Aspasia and Pericles' son was not considered an Athenian until Pericles' appeal for his son's legitimacy was approved. Pericles the Younger was a great statesman and general, but was captured during the Peloponnesian War between Athens and Sparta and executed. Aristophanes attributes the triggers for the Peloponnesian War to Aspasia, despite her son's resulting death. Some historians also attribute the Simeon War to Aspasia, convinced that she forced Pericles' hand there as well. After the Simeon War, Aspasia was even more reviled by the people of Athens. She was compared to Helen of Troy for her beauty causing conflict, 
Hera for behaving as a manipulative and spiteful wife, even though she couldn't legally marry her love. Denaria, the mythical man-destroyer, and she was titled the new Omphele, after the mythical queen, sex icon, and mistress of Heracles. Meanwhile, Aspasia's opponents recognized her power and called her a model of wisdom and a living Olympian. Historians today even hypothesize that it was Aspasia who invented the Socratic method. She also opened a philosophical school for girls and was a follower in the footsteps of Sappho, stepping into the limelight, writing speeches, and speaking her mind. Most agree that Aspasia was a powerful advocate for peace and patriotism, holding Greek civilization together in the face of invasions and infighting. Listeners, let's talk shop, specifically the Of Witches and Women merchandise shop. We have beautiful prints and t-shirts created by contemporary artists, salty t-shirts, fierce joggers, magic coffee mugs, witch sister bracelets, stickers, and more merch designed by me as well. Plus, when you buy art, either as a print or a t-shirt, the proceeds go to the hardworking artist. And when you buy the other merchandise, I can afford to buy myself a Pop-Tart, a maybe. <laughs> so, take a look at ofwitchesandwomen.com shop. Princess Kate and Meghan are not courtesans vying for the most powerful penis in the land, despite the illusions of some news rags. But interestingly, historians have drawn some of the same ties between Tharglia and Aspasia as our modern-day tabloids have drawn between Princess Kate and Princess Meghan. Kate and Meghan are modern, independent women who are trying to live their best lives and use their influence for good, despite external forces trying to turn them into heroes and villains and create a narrative that doesn't exist. Similarly, Tharglia and Aspasia were modern women of their time. They were educated, and they chose professions that allowed them the maximum rights and independence of their time and place. They knew politics inside and out, and they cared enough about their country to take action. They worked as advocates and spies. They fought in the only ways that were allowed. Yet, in modern literature and media, they have been painted as whores rather than the sophisticated politicians they were. Maybe because they had opposing beliefs but similar methods, it was easy for historians to compare and contrast them. Who was the better prostitute? Spy? Woman? Patriot? Interestingly, by our standards, or ancient Greek standards, it's impossible to be good at all of those things setting both women up for failure, no matter what. Tharglia and Aspasia were smart and successful. They faced incredible odds and did what they had to in order to survive and thrive. We can condemn them and compare them, or we can respect each story and each woman as her own person. 
as history makers, as country shapers, and as women. I'm not suggesting that uh, in today's day and age we all become courtesans. We're in a better position today to vote, to protest, to study, and to educate. So let's use our voices. Tabloids and trolls might shame Meghan Markle for being a feminist and Kate Middleton for speaking out about mental health, but we can support them, and we can choose to raise our own voices to advocate for meaningful causes. So let's embrace our power, witches. Let's rise above the chattel and trolls to shape the future that we want. That's a wrap on today's episode. Thank you all so very much for listening. Be sure you and your political opponents are all subscribed to Of Witches and Women on Apple, Google, or Spotify. And please write me a clever political review on your podcast app or just a nice review so others can find and enjoy the show as well. Connect with me and the pod on social media as we continue to grow. And of course, look up ofwitchesandwomen.com for even more great content and to subscribe to the Oracle newsletter so you don't miss out on Haydna's impressive and true war story. Stay fierce, witches, and I will catch you next time. Of Witches and Women is brought to you by SHH Media, LLC.